Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Really, the question of the hour. Have we been in just a mild correction for stocks or the start of something bigger? The investment committee debating that critical issue today. Joining me for the hour, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets. Uh, we are, well, we're green on the Dow. We're still negative on the S&P and the NASDAQ, and we have lost a little bit on the Dow. You know, Joe, we've been, we have some technical issues that we've been dealing with in the markets. The S&P below the 50-day yesterday at the close, the Russell below the 50-day as well. We've had weekly losses for small caps and, and things like that that are, that are piling up. And then you get what the guys were talking about at the end of the last hour, this Atlanta GDP, mm-hmm. 5.8% is what they're looking at after the industrial production and the housing numbers. Interest rates, the 10-year back highest since October 422. All of this is put into the stew of, of how we're supposed to think about where stocks go from here. Yeah, and the correction go, is, continues. And I think the, the question for the viewer is, is, is the correction in its nature going to be deeper in the sense of what we witnessed in 2022? Or is the correction very similar to 2019? So there's good news and bad news in that. And there's two time periods that I want to utilize here to guide investors through what I believe is going to unfold in Q3. In 2022, very obviously, you had an adversarial Federal Reserve. And the market declined from August 16th through October 13th by 19.6%. In the month of August, you only had 225 basis points worth of rate hikes. You still had uh, another 300 basis points yet to go. And you had an overall downtrend for the market. Now, in 2019, if you study that time frame, the same thing happened, Scott. You went through this malaise in Q3 from July 26th through October 3rd. The S&P declined 5.6%. Here's why I believe that 23 correlates to 2019. Similar to 2019, third year of a presidential election, similar to 2019, the bull structure of markets, 50, 100, 200-day moving averages, all pointing higher. And then lastly, which I think is important to understand, is the need for capital, even if interest rates continue to rise in 2023, is not as aggressive. Why do I say that? If you look at S&P corporate debt, only 6% of corporate debt is short-term in its nature. A whopping 75% of that corporate debt is long-term in its nature. So even if rates continue to move, there's not the sensitivity, the impact on servicing the debt for corporations. I think we're going to experience an extended correction through the part of uh, early parts of October, but I don't think it's going to be the depths of what we saw in 2022. To, uh, 2022, rather, I think it's garden variety, somewhere between five to seven percent. Is that how you see it, also, Carrie? And, and maybe the 10-year is going to be our guide. 
if it, if it stays elevated or who knows, even goes higher from here, as long as the data on the economy here in the U.S. remains as robust as it is, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which rates start to fall. Well, it's unlikely that rates are going to fall, but let's think about what it means to have a GDP that's growing at 5%. It means that earnings should be stronger than expected. If growth is stronger than expected, we ought to have corporate earnings that are better than expected. And I think what you saw in the market yesterday, to some extent today, is Home Depot and Target say things in July were better. And we're not an owner of Target, we are of Home Depot. And I, I think there's some encouragement in the market if we can see corporate earnings stepping up the pace. We're trading at 20 times this year, 18 times next year. And of course, you look under the covers and a lot of smaller cap names, not the mega caps, are trading at multiples that are attractive. And we can start to see some movement of earnings higher than forecast. We have seen a declining forecast through the year. We can start to see improving forecasts. And that could be the salvation for the market because we know interest rates are not coming down right now with strength that we're having uh, today. But we don't have to see them going up more. And we also can see inflation continue to come down, I believe, with, with rents and China affecting energy prices. So let's just see how corporate earnings can progress. I mean, Jim's going to tell me, I know, look, I mean, the economy is, is as strong as it is. How do you weigh that against the view on rates and what it means for the Fed? It, it's all in the same conversation. Great point. So let's talk about the Fed. And Joe brought this up. You know, the debate that we might have is whether the Fed's going to raise 25 basis points or not raise at all in September. Compare that. This is what you were doing, okay, Joe? Compare that to 15 months ago when we went into 2022 thinking, ah, maybe they'll raise three times. Then somebody threw out, maybe they'll raise 50 basis points. Then we got four 75 basis point rate hikes. It's just a different tone in the markets right now. Scott, to your point, though, or to your question, it's not really your point. You're asking a question where this goes off the rails, where 5.8 percent, which, by the way, is farcical. That's not what I mean. It's not what it's actually. But fine. Um, Where this goes off the rails. They tend to exaggerate. They do. Where this goes off the rails is if inflation starts going the other way. And then we get back into what I just described, that discussion of, hey, maybe the Fed's raising 50 basis points, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what it looks like right now. I mean, if you look at the stated CPI, just as a matter of fact, you know, we know that rent is a lagging indicator. It's coming down. We see things like the used car index. I don't think that we're going to see CPI inflect back up in a way that really incentivizes the Fed. But with all these great points that are being made, I just want to simplify this down to one thing. You were bringing up uh, Home Depot and Target. Both of those companies say the consumer is fine. The consumer is fine. The consumer's fine is because they're employed. That's going to beget GDP growth, which is going to beget the profits you're talking about. I mean, about. even if Atlanta is off, I mean, yes, okay, there are times where they're off, and sometimes they're off a lot. All right, so if they're off a point, a full point, okay, 4.8, that's still Hey, yeah. Scott, I like, I like this. I think we should all like this. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this is a strong point I want to make. We should not be fearing positive news in the inflation cycle, where we are in the inflation cycle right now. We should be happy as heck. You talking to us? You talking to Jay Powell? I'm talking to the whole world, including uh, Mr. Powell. Uh, By the way, he won't admit this. He likes this. He likes that inflation's coming down and joblessness is not picking up and we've got GDP growth. He's getting his soft landing. He's getting it. He's getting more than that. Weiss, how do you see it? You want to push back on anything you've heard? Everything. No, not necessarily. I mean, while you were out on vacation, Jim actually called the market. He said the market's going to be kind of soft, and he reduced exposure. So he's at 10% or was a week ago. 
Nick Cash, I don't mean to speak for Jim, but uh, but that's the right. That's the right way to be. I have no idea what the market's going to do, candidly. I mean, the base case now has been pretty well absorbed by the market, which is that a soft landing, the Fed's done, and Goldman's out there saying they're going to cut rates by June of next year. I don't think that's the case. I think for the Fed to cut rates, uh, that you need to see the economy going the other way. Right now, it's sort of bumping along at a steady pace. Now, I would take issue with one thing I pushed back. I'm not so sure Target said that the consumer's okay. What Target said is that the consumers change their spending habits that they're buying more necessities, that's eating up more of the pocketbook, and they're spending on, on experiences. So, and I think that's a constant refrain that you hear from a lot of them. You see it in TGX numbers, which is a discount retailer. So look, I don't care about the 50-day moving average. There's not one stock I'm gonna sell because of the 50-day moving average. Uh, protection is still fairly cheap, so maybe you wanna take out protection. But all I'm gonna to continue to do is pick up stocks when they're on sale. And I'm gonna keep my exposure, not fully invested, but at reasonable levels until that base case continues to atrophy, which is part of what we're seeing now. So the bulls are that are fully invested, that we've had multiple expansion, 20 times next year is still not cheap. And they're saying, hey, I've made a lot of money. Let me take some off the table because the future now is uncertain between if, China and the presidential election yeah. and everything else. If I told you, though, that, you know, okay, if, if if we're growing even more bullish on where the economy can go based on let's just take for face value Atlanta yeah. GDP projections just for the sake of the conversation itself. Does that mean you need to grow right. less bullish about the stock market? Because as the economy remains perhaps even hotter than we think, it's just going to keep rates elevated for a longer period of time. And that makes you less positive on stocks. No. Yeah. And I should have said that's a great point. Uh, and I should have said the base case is that, you know, rates are where they are, inflation's coming down, you know, the economy's growing at an accelerated pace. That's the base case. So to me, the risk is now that doesn't occur, that inflation stays stubbornly high where it is now, which is what I believe is occurring, because sure, used car prices are coming down. Sure, there are more autos on the lots now, supply chain eased up, and the two pillars of the economy are housing as well as car prices, autos. So right now, I think you're seeing that atrophy. Singles home sales, new construction, that's still going gangbusters. But the rest, commercial real estate, including multifamily housing, that started to peter out a little bit. Uh, so, so to me, that is the risk. I don't think the economy is going to accelerate from here. I actually think it's going to weaken from here as we've had the extended rate hikes start to take more hold. I'm not being overly bearish. I'm not bullish. Again, I'm market agnostic at this point because I can't figure it out. I don't know. It's not an easy set of facts to figure out. So I'd rather just stick with what I know, which is bottoms up fundamental and keep enough cash on yeah. hand and it's plenty and keep my 5% treasuries, my 5.7% Goldman, my 5.4% Wells Fargo paper and be happy from here on out. You know, Kerry, that's a, a good point. I mean, those who thought they had it figured out have been run over by the market rally train. Exactly. Right now they're more confused than ever because they thought they had it figured out. Then now, they piled in. <laughs> now, you know, the, the market's been on edge a little bit. Now we're negative across the board, just to note that. NASDAQ's the biggest loser uh, of the three majors today, down two-thirds of, of a percent as we watch that rise in yields. There's the 10-year at 422. So we're back hanging around October of 2022 highs.
and that continues to uh, obviously impact sentiment a, a bit. Yeah, well, the market ultimately trades on earnings. I think it's um, risky right now to be too optimistic about the state of both inflation and interest rates. On the other hand, if you can combine the whole picture, and uh, you know, again, I'm not trying to be overly optimistic or pessimistic. You've been but more optimistic, yes, though, I think, very. than most. All, right? all, I think all year fair. we've been optimistic. Yeah. And you know, we trimmed some Apple a couple of months ago. We looked silly for a while, and then it became a good trade. But uh, you know, we're not getting very negative just because the market's gone down 3%. We're 7% from the all-time high. It's not very far from, from that peak at the beginning of 2022. Good to and keep it in perspective, too, yeah, right? Yeah, you have the, to the 3%, keep perspective. Yeah, that's that's why we suggested it's, a, it's if yeah. you even want to call it a correction, yeah, it's a, little, um, it's a mild at Yeah, it's a mild at, correction. At We've just been talking about it because we had not had it for a while. Well, we do have issues, though, yeah, um, to, to deal with, whether it's Joe's seasonality, as you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. September, October, generally speaking, not good. China's been weaker, and I think we're, tr- we're all trying to figure out to what degree should we, should we care. You made the point yesterday that it doesn't really matter as much as maybe it would have in the past, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, as, as we said, China, you know, sneezes and everybody else gets a cold. Um, you suggest that that doesn't matter as much yeah, this I time think, around. I actually think in, in an odd way, uh, economically, if there are deflationary forces from China, they are going to emanate with China's largest trading partner, which is Europe. Europe is already economically uh, experiencing a recessionary environment with two consecutive quarters of one-tenth percent contraction. I think that's going to come here. I think the deflationary effect will come here and it will mitigate some of the concerns that we have about inflation staying relatively sticky. Um, I think when you think about emerging market investing, I still believe there's opportunity there because, as I said yesterday, now you could go beyond just what is the opportunity or what's the monetary policy in China. You could look towards India. You could look towards Brazil. Yeah, but you're not looking towards. You're not buying China stocks. You're not buying China stocks. The only only China stock uh, that is in the Joti ETF is is Yum China, and it has obviously lost significant momentum here over the last six to eight weeks. But no, uh, my tendency is not to buy stocks in China. And if you are going to buy stocks in China, I think you do that for a trade. And I think Steve's done that very well. Well, I mean, he continues to do it. He bought more Alibaba. You sold Baidu, but you bought more Baba, right, Steve? Yeah, that's correct. Look, uh, Baidu was a trade. Baba is a hold. It's not a perma hold because after all, it is China. But you know, the the dominant headline is China's weak, getting weaker, you know, deflationary, et cetera. But I'll just take you back to January of 09. <clears throat> Excuse me. And right before that was December of 08. And the Chinese economy at that time disappointed 6% or slightly below growth when it was growing much faster. And what China do? They eased for four quarters in a row, and you saw a major explosion upside in China in the economy. You're going to see the same thing here. China has no choice. Now, I was disappointed earlier in the week when they came along with with a real minor cut, uh, but they've got a new guy in the seat, number one, not Xi. You know, but President Xi pulls the strings, and you've seen lots of dictators or presidents for life, and where are they? By the way, they didn't serve out their lives because you've had lots of social unrest. So she's aware of that. So he is going to cut massively. That's my view. So Alibaba is actually one of the cheapest stocks I own. They announced today that they're going to split out part of their cloud business. Um, 
And by the way, that cloud business is about $10 billion a year and growing nicely. Think of what the cloud business is, companies in, in the U.S., China's far behind. So as they have these six other IPOs, you're going to see that some of the parts really drive the value there. So that's why I bought more Baba. It's compellingly cheap, single-digit multiple, and but the base case is that China eases. Now, I will point out, the last quarter, without China easing, with the economy not in a tailspin but continuing to degrade, mm-hmm. Baba put up a good quarter. JD put up a good quarter. Look at the reaction today. So, so the negatives on China, which I know very, very well, having sued a few Chinese companies in the Cayman courts where they're domiciled, I know all the risks. But I also know the upside. And I believe the upside far, far exceeds the downside. Hedge funds are dumping Chinese stocks in, uh, in the month of August, according to Goldman Sachs, uh, aggressively is the word that, that they use. And Jim, the other issue that we need to pay attention to, you know, because it's the best performing and biggest group in the markets, tech. Yeah. And if you are hoping that if this is just a simple little correction is about to reverse itself, you better get some you know, serious stabilization, if not a reversal in some of the declines that we've seen over the last couple of weeks, plus in tech stocks. That would be nice. I, I agree. Um, I don't think you're done with the correction in tech stocks. Now, I know I'm flying in the face of, you know, the, the hordes of analysts who over the last week have put out uh, new ever accelerating targets on the tech darlings. I do think you're going to get a little further pullback. Now, you know, Joe talked about the seasonality. I totally agree. And when you have a year that's as up as we are this year, and in particular, those tech darlings, NVIDIA's up, what, 170 percent, Tesla's up 100 percent. That's the ripe apples on the tree for people to pluck when they want to take a vacation and they want to play the seasonality. That's where they go. But, you know, you get to mid-September and, and Joe, I heard you say October. I'm going to call it mid-September, okay? okay? So you get to mid-September, you know, maybe NVIDIA's around 400. Maybe Apple's around 160. This time last year, Apple was around 125. The perspective here matters. You're right, Scott. It would be nice if they started a rally for the market overall. Not I don't nice. think it's what's going to Nece- happen. Not nice. Necessary. Necessary. Uh, well, necessary but, but I've, I've been on the other side side of that for quite some time. I, 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 let's not have that argument. No, I think, no, 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 I think no, no. I think the we're opportunity gonna, we'll, is coming. I think the first op- of all, I don't think it's an, an argument. And second of all, we're going to have it because okay. if, but, if ah. it's necessary, it's it's being borne out. It's I mean, the only, I'll tell you what. It's the only catalyst you could think I'll tell you of what. right now. Let me the grant you the point because the let me grant you the point. OK, I give you the point. Concede. But the point I'm trying to make is I don't really care when we're talking about for a month. For me, and you know where I am, that's a great opportunity. Okay, so if if NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft all come down and it gives me better entry points to add to Apple and Microsoft, initiate on NVIDIA, I'm happy even if it drags the rest of the market down. Well. Part of my point, (laughs) too, is like, are you you going (laughs) to, what's that, what's that, Steve? I said, thank you, Jim. Don't care about the market, the rest of us, just so you can buy those I don't care about it for a stuff. month. You guys know me. Come on, we're not even going to play this. You guys know me. You think I care about the next month? I don't. But I think you're going to have a hard time, Jim, convincing people that, oh, hey, today, you know, let's not buy uh, Apple on what's been a couple-week pullback. Let's go buy Caterpillar or an industrial stock love, like that. I, lo- I love where you're going. You know why I love this? Is because those companies, I don't know, pick, pick my favorites, right? Pick Cleveland Cliffs, pick CVS, right? These are companies that are generating so much cash flow right now that while the rest of the world says, I don't want them, I'm dumping them, the companies are buying back their shares and shrinking their share counts. For a long-term investor, let's see Carrie smiling here, a long-term investor like Carrie and me who doesn't care about the next month and sees opportunities, these companies with their cash flows buying back their shares at these prices, 
All right. So, so you're, you're you're telling me you so you'd rather you're making the case that you'd rather buy CVS today than than one of these mega <laughs> no, caps. For goodness sakes, you I've told you this. I what do you mean? Said, Did you just make that case? I already own CVS. Did you just make the case? I already own CVS. The case I was making. Why somebody is, in the audience might not own CVS? Okay. You well, telling I, them yeah. that they shouldn't buy more of a At mega cap level? stock that's pulled back? You'd rather buy CVS? It depends on what's in your portfolio. I've got plenty of CVS. I don't have enough Apple, Microsoft, or NVIDIA. That's why my mind is there. It depends on where you are in your portfolio. Can we go back to where we started this conversation? You were asking, and look, we are talking. I understand your discipline is you don't care what happens in the market over the next six to eight weeks. And over the long term, you're right. Okay, Retail investors shouldn't be doing that. But we are talking about where we are right now seasonally. And it's very clear, there's no catalyst for the market right now. That's why what's going on with Treasury yields and with China is so dominant in the headlines. And to your point, you have a potential catalyst coming with NVIDIA that could reverse some of the negativity that's in the market right now. In the past, we relied on sentiment and positioning to be the catalyst when the market corrected. This time, you can't do that. Christina Parsonovelis to my right here has has sat down at a perfect time uh, for a segue about NVIDIA, right? The street's getting more bullish. The stock has had a nice uh, little bounce. I know it's down. We just showed it. Let's put it up again, please. Um, it's down a little bit today, but it's had a nice couple of days bounce back. That's because there's a love fest. That's what I'm calling it. Literally yeah, it a love is. fest amongst analysts. You're saying that they're getting more bullish. It's, it's every day there's a new price target increase from whether it be Wells Fargo, Deutsche Bank, Baird. Just within the past two days, you've seen at least six names come higher on NVIDIA. And the, the main thesis that we're seeing across all of these analyst reports is that companies are spending more money on AI builds. And NVIDIA is the leader right now by providing those AI chips, those GPUs. There's no competitors in sight. Therefore, NVIDIA will continue to gain that market share. It is an argument for near-term success for the company, possibly in the next guidance, the quarter. The other uh, successful factor, I guess, for for NVIDIA is demand coming from China. They're front-running a lot of their orders right now because of export controls. We learned from the FT that Saudi Arabia, UAE are all purchasing uh, NVIDIA chips. So you have China, a bunch of these companies, hyperscalers as well. So the demand is clearly there. But I know yesterday on your show, Josh Brown made the argument that how can NVIDIA continue to blow past analyst expectations? It was 50% past estimates this last quarter, right, when we were talking about guidance. So can they keep that momentum going when so many companies, countries, et cetera, are front-running their orders right now to get a leg up on the AI push? You also raised the issue. You said, hey, make sure you ask Stacey Raskin when he was on Closing Bell about supply constraints. Yeah. Because of the quality quote unquote of the chips that Nvidia produces and their dominant you know position in that area can they produce enough of what people want precisely so that would taper down uh, revenues just in the near term because TSMC is the sole uh, con- contractor for Nvidia and they make their chips TSMC has warned about this I've just listed all the names of countries and companies that have uh, you know want demand so that is a big issue right now which is why what we're gonna see from the report even if the exact numbers it comes up above 11 billion dollars in revenue for the July quarter really it's gonna be about this next year. How is this momentum going to keep going when you're dealing with uh, supply issues and front-running orders? Wrap up real quick, because you're the only one here who owns it right now. Okay, so May 20th. Jimmy's looking at it. He wants it, but you you actually have it. May 24th to May 25th, the stock jumped 20% post-earnings. So the question I think that Joss was raising is, can you have the expectation that it could do something similar like that again? 
options are implying an 11% move. So this stock is going to move post-earnings. I think why the analyst community is still gathering around this overall positive sentiment is they see the explosion in revenue growth coming in 2024. They see the moat and they see the investment in software and in hardware. And they realize that if there's this supply to demand and balance, ultimately the only chip company that can resolve that to a certain extent is NVIDIA. And coming off of Taiwan Semi and ASML, I think you have to have a positive feeling that NVIDIA could surprise once again, not to the degree that it did last 50%, quarter, yeah. but it could surprise once again. All right, we'll see. Thank you, as always. Thanks. Christina Partsinevelos here with us. On set, before we head to break, another check on the markets right now. We are at session lows. The major average is negative across the board now. The 10-year note yield, uh, well, it, the yield is not falling. It's actually going up, 423. That's one of the issues. Up next, our chart of the day. It's Target. Shares are rallying on the back of earnings. Stephanie Link owns it. She joins us next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. to our chart of the day. It's Target shares higher despite lowering their full year guidance. There's the stock by 3% to the upside. Our Stephanie Link owns it, joins us now. So the beat is overshadowing. It's good to see you, Steph. Thank you for being here. The, the beat overshadowing the revenue miss and the guidance. I'm do we characterize this as good? Was it a good quarter? How, how do you assess it? I think it was a mixed quarter, Scott, where they beat on earnings, they missed on revenues. Comps down 5.4% was about what I was thinking that they would do. The guidance is midpoint of the range, about 750, kind of where I thought that that, that that where it would settle out. I think the clear positive is the profitability in the quarter. Operating margins were 4.8% versus 1.2% last year, and gross margins were 27% versus 21.5% last year. So they're making a lot of progress. And inventories fell 17%, and inventories in discretionary fell 25%. All of this, if you wrap it up, is that they're doing better in terms of price, in, price increases, uh, less markdowns, 
and also um, better than expected freight costs. So I think all in all, it was a mixed quarter, but I think that you can, there's a line of sight that this company can do something like 11 to $13 in earnings power by 2025. And I think if you look at it on, uh, on a longer term basis, it's pretty attractive at 11 times that number. Um, the stock is down 26% from its highs, very low expectations. So yeah. I think this is the beginning of, of the recovery. You paint a scenario, though, in, in which even you sound as though that this stock's going to be in the penalty box for a while. I mean, you start throwing out 25. I'm thinking, well, you know, a stock that's 50 bucks plus off of its 52-week high is going to take a long time to get back to that level. I think it will, but I, I think that there's definitely a line in, of sight, right? That they can do eight to nine dollars in fiscal 24. That's next year, and then maybe 11 to 13. Um, I think the real important point, though, is its inventories have really plagued this company, and they're now getting it under control. And Again, they're doing much better on the profitability side of things, and I really care about that because once we do get demand to come back, revenue's top line, then you are going to get that positive operating leverage. And so I think the stock is really attractive. It's 17 times earnings, but that's trough earnings, right? That's on, on this year's uh, earnings. So I don't think that's all that commanding as well. You get a 3.6% dividend yield, and it's just a high-quality company that's down and out, and I, I think uh, there's some upside uh, you know, going forward. All right. Steph, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank That's you. Stephanie Link uh, back at our headquarters for us. Um, you looking at this, Carrie, at, at all? You know, it's interesting, Scott. I looked at it two days ago and I went through all of the numbers and I, I went back several years. So if you go back to 2019, in fact, where the earnings were not too far from what they are going to be this year. Um, and also, if you look at 2022, last year, the expectation was that we'd be earning $14 um, if you look at the next fiscal year. So the reason the target's in the penalty box is they're disappointing investors. Every single time the stock takes a leg down, leg down people buy it. Stephanie's brave to have done it, and I think that it will work out eventually. But people are underwater. I mean, eventually is uh, well, okay, a, loaded, a loaded word correct. for an investor. There are people who are getting tired. They bought it down 20%, 30%, 40%. It's down more than 50%. And the online business off 10.5% not so great. And, you know, used to have a love fest with Target. It had a higher multiple than Walmart and that switched again. So I, I, I think it's it, they've got to show another quarter or two before people are really going to believe that it's a recovery story. Then there's TJX, Joe, up near 5%, new record high Yeah. Uh, on earnings beat, revs beat. Same store sales up six. That was double the estimate. You own it in the T. Remarkable. And in 2024, they now expect same store sales to be up three to four percent. Previously, it guided to two to three percent. Strong traffic trends. Let's understand this is a consumer discretionary stock. What Target is, what Costco is, what Walmart, they are all consumer staple stocks. And one of the problems for consumer staple stocks is that the dividend yield, 80% of the overall sector, has now fallen far significantly below the 10-year Treasury. Keep in mind, it used to run 50 basis points above a 10-year Treasury. So there's obviously something inherent to the business at Target relative to Costco and Walmart. And, and I'll say this, Scott. It's a I, I have done a, a 
awful job in trading Walmart individually, right? My own intuition, I have traded Walmart awful. They're going to report Thursday. They've, they've got the grocery before the right, bell. Then they've got the grocery business, which it should insulate them from some of the challenges maybe that Target has experienced. But but Walmart's gone basically straight up, right? Costco is going to report at the end of September with a systematic rules-based approach. I've owned Costco through the ETF since July of 2021. Yeah, never shaken out of it, never questioned, just followed the rules and stayed in it. And you could see what Costco has done Fantastic. since then. So my, my own foolishness has taken me out of Walmart several times, and that's the wrong place to be because you want to be in Walmart. Weiss, Dick Sporting Goods is really the only retail slash discretionary play that you have right now, right? And they're next Tuesday reporting. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. And it's actually been been a great stock. Uh, they'll report next Tuesday. Uh, valuations creeped up a little bit, but still uh, pretty reasonably priced. So I'm sticking with it. If I, frankly, if I see it go through the 150 level, I may reconsider that. But right now, the momentum is just phenomenal. Even on down days like today, you, conti- you continue to see a trade up. They're one company that really can't be disintermediated by online to any extent because it's such an experience for parents to go with their kids there to pick out you know, sporting goods equipment, pick out clothing, sporting you know, athletic gear, et cetera, to try it on, that uh, it's an experience. So I think that's why they're doing so well. Plus, the competition is very limited in terms of brick and mortar, so I like it. Uh, if I turn to Target, if Target, if you remove the name Target, and you instead put a technology name on there, the stock will be on a defibrillator today. So I'm sort of puzzled why it's working so well, given that the downside guidance, I get that their margins are better, but that's because they've shedded all their inventory. So, uh, so do they have enough inventory to meet demand if it moves up? So I think at this point, Target over the last year or two has become more of just a normal retailer with good management, but I wouldn't be too excited about it right here. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. Mike Pence is speaking out for the first time on former President Trump's Georgia indictment. The former vice president and current presidential candidate told the National Conference of State Legislatures that no one is above the law and that there was no election fraud in Georgia. The Tui family of blindside movie fame is calling former NFL star Michael Orr's claims that they enriched themselves at his expense, quote, outlandish and part of, quote, a shakedown. The family is claiming that Orr threatened to plant a negative story about them unless they paid him $15 million. Orr filed a petition in court Monday asking a judge to terminate a conservatorship initiated by the Tuies. And Apple has moved the end call button back to the middle of the screen in its latest iOS update. The move reverses a change the company had considered earlier this summer. Apple had been looking to move the button to the lower right-hand corner, but you know, when they move that button, I I still can't work it out right when it comes up as a little pop-up at the top of your screen when you're open on something else. Nine times out of 10, I hang up rather than answer. Maybe it's just me. You keep working on it, Bertha. (laughs) I'm confident in you. (laughs) Bertha Coombs. All right, coming up, our call of the day. One firm sees this energy stock rallying more than 30%. Joe owns it, which means we debate it. We'll do it next. Grade my trade. 
Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag GradeMyTrade. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. We're back. Good news alert. Uh, it's been game on for U.S. Steel lately, and those shares are getting a spike right there by near 4% on a report from Reuters that ArcelorMittal, that's the world's second largest steelmaker, apparently considering a potential offer that's according to their sources. We talked a lot about this, Jimmy, the other day because Cleveland Cliffs was in the mix. The CEO uh, thinks they're going to get it done. They got a lot of other people want to get in on the action, too, apparently. Yeah, it's well, it strikes me that Cleveland Cliffs is the right uh, uh, suitor here. Obviously, I'm in the shares. I, I don't think it's bias showing. I think that what you get there is some is a combined company where you're controlling the raw inputs. You've got a mix of electric arc furnaces and blast furnaces. You've got the union. And this is probably the biggest point. The union only wants Cleveland Cliffs to buy the company. The ArcelorMittal, not surprising. I just think it's a non-starter. I think with where geopolitics are right now, this country wants uh, a, a pro-union U.S. company to be in the top 10 of market uh, steel producers. They don't want an international company. And I don't think there's any way the union or, frankly, U.S. steel management uh, will let the company get taken over by an, uh, by an international company. Do you worry at all that if there are, you know, these alleged other suitors, that it just drives the potential price up to a degree that you wouldn't want Cleveland Cliffs to do it? Um, maybe. I'm more worried about anti-competitive issues. I mean, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but let me. the biggest issue here is anti-competitive, antitrust issues, okay? I think they'll get through it, but it's not easy. It's not a layup. To your uh, question, though, I don't think so. Here's why. You know, what's the company? Escar? I can't remember the company. It's a private company. Escar. That's not a strategic fit. That's not a company like Cleveland Cliffs where you're combining the assets in a way where you strip out synergies of $500 million a year. This from a company, by the way, that is notorious for under-promising and over-delivering. Over, uh, uh, by the way, U.S. That. Steel's market cap is uh, just about $7 billion. Let me answer your question more directly, though, because the current premium is 40%, 43% on U.S. Steel from Friday's close. That still would be buying U.S. Steel at 70% of book value. Cleveland Cliffs is at one times. There's a little room. Uh, Lorenzo Gonzalez is a good negotiator. He's not going to get picked. He's not going to get his pockets picked here. Why should you have a view on this? I mean, you have owned Cleveland Cliffs from time yeah, to I do. time. <clears throat> I have. I have. And uh, what was a chided as a bad sale in, in the 20s turned out to be a good sale. Look, high quality company. You know, I, I think it's subject, obviously, to economic vagaries. And the view that I gave in autos is not particularly positive for the company. In terms of the acquisition, uh, it's very difficult, as you know, to get any M&A done at this point. So I think the stock will settle back. However, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Smart doesn't have the synergies. I mean, pretty smart, very wealthy family. 
We'll leave it to them. I don't think they're just sticking their finger in the air hoping this works. So you've got a bidding war offer, which I find very, very interesting, given where interest rates are right now. And they said they've had multiple levels of interest. So if I owned it, I'd probably take some off the table. If I didn't, uh, I'd stay away because it's always tough playing these. And the acquisition will take a long time to close. So you'll get an opportunity to buy it at a discount to the merger price, whatever it is when a deal gets agreed to. Real quick, Jimmy. Um, just on the on the synergies, uh, Steve. I mean, when when you look at Cleveland Cliffs, they produce their own iron ore. They bought a scrap metal company a couple of years ago. They have got all the scrap metal. They've got the yield coming from their auto manufacturer contracts for what's not used there. I just I, I hear you, Escar, smart company. I'm not going to come back at you at that. I just think the synergies are so obvious with Cleveland Cliffs and so obviously not with Escar. I got to leave it there. Uh, we'll take a right. quick break. Mike Santoli on the other, other side with his midday words next. We're back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli here for his uh, midday word. What do you think about today? You know, the market's acting in a way that's making potential buyers feel good about being patient. You know, it's kind of coming in each day. It's not going to run away from you. Uh, we spoke yesterday about how maybe sometimes you need a little more of a scare to feel clever about buying uh, this pullback. It still doesn't seem like it's anything in a macro sense worrisome. If anything, we're just trying to assimilate how fast the economy is growing at the moment and whether that can continue, whether it's going to engender a Fed mistake. Credit markets, very firm. So all the stuff you would look at to say, should I be more worried than just what I'm seeing in the tape action itself? It's probably not. It's only 3%, right? Well, it's like okay. 4 now, okay. uh, you know, so okay. we, but it's sort of, again, you're seeing like Apple test these levels that people think might be significant. That's an ugly looking top formation or at least a sharp break in momentum for uh, the likes of Apple. So I think there's some things there you, you could find to be concerned about, not so much, again, about the macro inference, but about the fact that, you know, the stuff that got you here is uh, is starting to fall. Yeah, you're, you're definitely going to have some who, who would say, see, I told you tech was looking toppy. Well, no doubt. Um, but again, it's only given back a little piece of yeah. the outperformance we got off of the October level. All right, good stuff. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Yeah. That's Mike Santoli. Up next, our call of the day, a rare green spot on this down day. One firm sees that stock rallying more than 30% from here. Tell you what it is. We'll debate it, of course. We'll do it next. Chevron shares are moving higher today. Energy is a leader. And that's after a bullish note from Mizuho today. They upgraded to buy from neutral. So we'll look, we'll, we'll look at it this way. Um, I don't think anybody owns Chevron on the de- Well, you do. The T. You it don't is. own it personally, though. It's in the T. Okay. Correct. Along with, well, a lot of other stuff. Yes. Right? A lot of We're energy. talking about refiners. Yes. A lot of in, uh, This week as well. What do you think about this call here? So... I like the call because I, th- I think what they're doing is they're, they're kind of highlighting the underperformance, the outperformance relative to its major global peers. And that's, that's been an important way to think about owning Chevron. And over the last two to three years, Chevron has significantly underperformed ConocoPhillips and Exxon Mobil. Prior to that, the 2017 to 2020 period, it was Chevron that outperformed. So why do you gather confidence now that you're at this inflection point where you could say, okay, that uh, mean reversion in performance is actually about to take hold? And I really think it's about what Mike Worth is doing here, navigating the balance sheet 
and taking free cash flow to a point where it's going to accelerate as you move out of 2024 into 25 and 26. So it's uh, it's it's viewing the opportunity that he has in the Permian basis and in the Tengis. It's realizing that the capital allocation strategy is going to get some tailwinds behind it. Um, and I haven't even mentioned the fact that oil prices might ultimately act as a tailwind as well. So I think the upgrade is uh, a good one here. New buy for you, NextEra Energy. Speaking of energy, well, tell me own, about this one. Yeah, so we own some of it. We bought it a couple of months, maybe six weeks ago. Okay, you bought more. And, yeah, we bought more gotcha. because the stock's come down. So why was the stock going down in the first place? It's because it's a sustainable energy company in addition to being Florida Power and Light. It's about half and half. And we know that electricity demand is going to double or triple in the next 20 years. They're a real leader in the field. And ESG funds, of course, have been losing assets. That's been bringing it down. We think the stock is very attractive at this price. A lot of growth over the long term and a low risk company. All right. Still ahead, the setup on Cisco earnings after the bell. We'll find out what the committee is expecting and we'll do it next. We've got two big tech earnings reports coming out after the bell today, Cisco and Synopsys. Jimmy, you've taken Cisco, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm fond of Cisco. Great long-term steady eddy in the portfolio. But here's where Cisco's been recently. They had some supply chain issues about a year ago. They worked through those. And in the last quarter, there were concerns that they weren't bringing in enough new orders to fill their backlog, that, which is pretty substantial in that they're going through. However, think about what's happened in the last three months with expectations for the economy in general. I think it's likely that orders are starting, starting to come in and that their commentary is positive about what they're seeing uh, in terms of new customer, potential uh, prospective new customer wins. So look for their commentary on new orders. That's really what's going to be important here. Kerry, Cisco, peak 20 years. Um, this is what you told the producers. I'm going to set this uh, oh up real God. well. <laughs> Peaked 20 years ago, there are better places to invest. You said it, not me. I'm just reiterating what you said. More than 20 years ago. Um, Yes, we think there are other opportunities, but but it's it's been a good performer. And, you know, I hate being negative about a company that's working so hard to sort of get back its its audience and build up its its profile. I I you just have to know what it is. It's not Nvidia. Nobody's saying it's Nvidia or some crazy story stock like that. It's just a steady eddy. It's having a good year. I mean, it's up 12 percent. It's it's been a good good year. It does what you want it to do, which is give you no drama, no drama. Hold it for a long time. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, quickly, Synopsis. Synopsis, a name that we've owned since inception in November of 2020. It's been a very strong performer for us. Look for the revenue growth here to accelerate. It's going to need to do that to maintain this lofty valuation it has right now. All right. Back in a couple minutes, we'll do final trades next. Got an exciting closing bell coming up today, 3 o'clock Eastern time. Schwab's Liz Ann Saunders is with us. Liz Young as well, and former Fed Vice Chair Rich Clarida. So we don't want to miss that, given what the markets have been doing, what we're talking about with rates and the Fed. And I'll see you at 3 o'clock this afternoon for that. Let's do final trade. Steve Weiss, go first for me. Yeah, look, I love some drama. So my final trade is going to be Baba. Drama sometimes helps you really outperform. So... Bring it on, Jimmy. All right. hmm. Jimmy, why don't you go next then? 
We're going to be calm and cool, no drama. Cleveland Cliffs, uh, look, I think they'll get the deal done, but even if they don't, they've got a lot of cash flow here, and they're going to do something with it, most likely buy back a ton of shares. Kerry? Blackstone. If the economy is heating up, the companies that they own will do well, and they'll sell for higher expectations. All right, good stuff. And Joe T. Morgan Stanley's now pulled back 14% from its February high. I think you could buy it here in the mid-80s, use a stop below 80. Yeah, we've been watching the financials a lot this week. It's been a rocky road. Uh, for the banks. Yeah, yes. for, for the banks. Uh, all right, I'll see everybody coming up uh, on Closing Bell again. Uh, Liz Ann Saunders, Rich Claire, I don't want to miss that. I'll see you then. Dow right now is just fighting it out. It's down 25. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.